All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Little, little slow there on the uh, on the jump there, but good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're coming in from. Super pumped to have you. My name's Gerald Dozier. This is Simply Cyber Live, and every Thursday afternoon at 4:30 Eastern Time, we bring on cybersecurity community members to share their stories, talk about their expertise and just enrich the community in general. Today is absolutely awesome. I am super, super thrilled to be bringing on our guest, Mick Douglas. He's been a longtime cybersecurity community member. He contributes all the time, uh, often seen on Twitter quite a bit, Better Safety Net. If, you, if, you, if you're not following him, he is a must follow. He's been a SANS instructor for like a million years. He's really into hardware hacking. He writes tools for the community. He's just a really cool dude. He was the first ever guest for Simply Cyber three years ago, if you can believe that. So that's really, really nice to bring it full circle and have Mick come on. So basic rules, everything's pretty much what you would normally expect from one of these type of podcast talk shows. If you have questions, chat is right there. You guys are part of the stream. We encourage participation engagement. This is a community, right? Cybersecurity, it's all about inclusion. It's all about support. It's all about answering questions and networking with each other. I'm super pumped. Um, So, you know, pretty standard. Ask a question, get an answer. That's how it works. I've got a ton of fun stuff to talk to Mick about. I haven't briefed him on any of it. Um, Not that I'm I'm gonna like throw him under a bus or anything, but it will be cool. Let's go get Mick. Mick, welcome back to Simply Cyber. Well, I'm super excited to be here, and now I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm a little scared as to what you got cooking, uh, what you got up your sleeve here. All right, so, well, yeah, it, it was not, it was not to scare you. It was not to, not to do anything. But as I was, you know, doing a little bit of research on you, you know, things like uh, just, just to tease it for the audience, because I do want uh, to, to get into. Uh, a couple of specific questions to start the show off. But, you know, you're into hardware hacking and, and radio, like Flipper Zero. Like, I'm yep. sure you've done a bunch of fun stuff with that that's beyond my comprehension, like things like that. Also, uh, I did go into your tw- <laughs> I did go into your Twitter history and pulled out some juicy nuggets, like about how people slide into your DMs and like try to harass you and then you, you give them OPSEC lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's going to be fun, man. So, all right. So first of all, as I said in the intro, Better Safety Net is your Twitter handle. And guys, if someone in chat can just go grab the the Twitter URL and drop it in chat, I'd appreciate it. But why is it Better Safety Net? Like, I'm so unoriginal. My Twitter handle is Gerald Dozier, right? Very, very obvious. What's up with Better Safety Net? um, That's a real old BBS handle, and um, for a very long time, I wasn't thinking that I was going to get into computers, and um, one of my, uh, I I was actually heading toward working in steel mills. That's where my grandfather and where my dad uh, both worked and retired from, and um, my brother and I both were uh, briefly in the like intro phases of going into that. And we were like, you know, this college thing is kind of good. And um, at the time, I was still playing around with BDSs. And um, uh, as ghastly as it sounds, there were a couple accidents in the very short time I worked at the steel mill. And so um, jokingly, at one of the debriefs, I was like, hey, uh, you know, maybe a better safety net would work. And everybody kind of like just 
like started making fun of me and calling me better safety net. But I, you know, <laughs> jokes on them. I wore it with pride. I was like, hey, yeah, no, if you know, that safety net was there, that person wouldn't have broke their leg. Yeah. And so um, it's kind of one of those things where you got to be careful what you try to mock somebody with because I owned it yeah, and still do. Well, that's a good lesson for anyone in the community too. really, really, uh, you know, own, own, own it if it's you, right? Own it and uh, make the best of it. So that actually brings up a really interesting thing, uh, Mick. So if you go look at Mick's SANS page, because Mick is a SANS instructor, uh, it says you have 10 years of cybersecurity experience. How is that, that possible? Updated. Okay. That needs updated. <laughs> um, I've been working in IT since 94. Okay. And um, I wasn't doing uh, computer security the whole time. I, I did a lot of systems administration, network administration, and DBA type stuff. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of gravitated toward the security side of things, but it wasn't until I got a job at... Um, I started dabbling with security a bit when I was at UUNIT in the 2000s, and then I went to work at OCLC, and that's when I went full-time with the cybersecurity stuff, and I haven't looked back since then. You know, it's interesting. Um, I feel like, so Mick is obviously, I feel, okay, so Mick is obviously from an earlier generation of cybersecurity professionals, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying that to like say you're old or something, but and no, I feel I like- totally I feel like I'm from that same generation, but like almost like a, a fringe cusper of, of like petering into the next generation. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people who are, you know, got in when Mick got in were network engineers or deep system admins. Like nowadays, I feel like you can be kind of from all walks of life and, and get into cybersecurity because the community or excuse me, the industry has matured to a point to have really specific roles and stuff. But yeah. back in the day, I mean, you know, if you look at the kind of the OGs, right? Like, like, um, you know, Strand or, or Kennedy or, or, you know, yourself or, you know, there's a million of you. Um, you all were like deep technical, almost engineers, basically. Well, you kind of had to be back then. Um, you know, and the one thing that I will um, caution folks with gently is, you know, I was back there in the day, in the day right? Like, um, you know, you hear about all these like, oh, I was popping all these shells and stuff. Folks, like Windows Server 2000 was about as secure as a bus stop. So, like, when I hear all these old timers like, <laughs> like, yeah, it was a lot easier. It's, um, you know, the game's changed a lot. You know, I don't recommend that folks come in the path that I did. I mean, my path was windy enough as is for me. You know, I, I think that for folks coming in, you know, it's good to find something that interests you, gets you fired up, and then you know, focus on that. And then as time allows, learn things like networking and understand how the protocols work, because that'll make troubleshooting and break fix so much easier. Mm -hmm. but like, you know, like I've seen some really bad advice online, like, uh, you know, well, back in my day, we read TCPIP Illustrated, all three books of it. And that's how I learned networking. That's a horrible way to do it. Those are meant to be reference guides. Yeah. And, like, don't, I don't know. It, um, what worked for somebody might not work for you, and you got to find your own path. It, it's funny. It's funny you say that. So, like, just real, real quick for chat, like Mick, uh, one of the like obviously he's a cybersecurity professional, but like one of the things that he's into is helping people understand how to break in and being inclusive. Like he does internships and uh, student mentorship and stuff like that. So, you know, obviously, this is why I say you're such a great uh, person for our community. Uh, obviously. 
Uh, but but so if you have questions, feel free to throw those questions in as well, because that's that's part of what we're doing here. And I do want to say um, it's funny you brought up TCP IP Illustrated. I still have it in my my library. Um, I remember when I bought that, that was like a milestone acquisition for me. Like like and I didn't I didn't buy it as reference. I, I And I didn't read it cover to cover either. But I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, like I'm so legit. <laughs> I got this book now, you know. So it's a good one. It really is. Yeah. I think it was volume three I got, though, if I had to. Okay. I, yeah. But, but yeah. anyways. Yeah, I was just super disappointed when I got the book and I opened it. And I was like, there's no pictures in here. And like even in the forward, it says we're using the older definition of the word illustrated, which means explained in excruciating detail. And I was like, this is not what I need. Yeah. So I'm a very visual thinker and I was expecting all these diagrams. And there's They do have the packet uh, diagram on the binder like when you open it not even on paper but yeah so so <laughs> i know it's not, not what i'm looking for so, so so the genesis of this entire uh meeting today uh for everybody's benefit and what i want to start off with mick posted online so i teach at the citadel right in their cyber sciences department and i'm regularly like one of my lectures is around miter attack and i'm like look at this like we have grown up as an organization as a industry we now it's not you know magicians and 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 wizards casting spells aka threat actors popping shells and, and like ooh, um we understand now the taxonomy of whatever a threat actor could do no matter what they do it's going to map on a miter attack and this is what i tell my students and i see mick douglas post online on twitter Miter attack's a great start, but it's not comprehensive. And I'm like, oh my God. And I respect you quite a bit, Mick. So I was like, okay, it's, you know, hey, I'll be the first to admit, I got, I'm always learning, right? I definitely am not, um, you know, the end all be all. And when I saw that, I was like, holy crap. So I, I reached out to Nick, I mean, Mick, and got some clarification. And I said, we have to share this with the world. So, so Mick, explain to me why miter attack is good, but not perfect. Well, okay. So first of all, part of the reason I love collaborating with you is that I have a, the similar feel, right? Like I'm always on a journey of discovery. And one of the things that holds true is that's how everybody is, right? Mm -hmm. MITRE, the group that oversees attack, realizes that there are going to be new techniques and new, you know, attacks that, you know, adversaries create. And so the whole idea behind the attack framework isn't that we have it all figured out. What we're trying to do is build a taxonomy, easy for me to say, mm -hmm. um, that allows us to talk about things in a way that's vendor neutral and you know, like have conversations that are incredibly new. There's, you know, like you've pointed out, I've been doing this a while and, you know, five years ago even before we had the attack framework what we would be doing is we'd be like well this took place in my network and somebody would be like oh you mean this and you're like well no that's not exactly the same term and you'd spend a lot of time and energy just getting the terminology right mm -hmm. by the time that, that you got that and you had agreement then it was like time to go have a beer or something so it was really awkward and a lot of energy was wasted. So the advantage that MITRE's attack framework gives us is it fairly narrow slices the phases of attack campaigns into these fairly narrow slices. And that's probably the only critique about MITRE that I will 
sort of accept. I mean, some of the, the slices are kind of arbitrary or, or um, very thin, you know, but that would make for a much longer column in the attack matrix. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. For I'm, I'm going to pull it up here so we can uh, look at it. Yeah, so each column in the attack uh, matrix is a particular phase of the attacker life cycle. Yeah, I wish I could get and, rid of this left column right here. It's it's uh, it's killing my uh, my my screen space here. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. Oh, CSS tricks. I'm sure there's ways to do it. I know. Um, please please continue, and I'll yeah. I'll I'll work through this. Yeah. So the idea is that um, what what MITRE is doing is as new methods of attack or exploitation are discovered, as new methods of flying below the radar or evasion are discovered, they get added to this framework. And there's a couple, you know, misconceptions. And one that I also operated under was, hey, this is this is the sum total, the the body of knowledge of information security, like this is it for CyberSec. And not too terribly long ago, I'd say probably about two, three years ago, um, just as the pandemic was starting to uh, spin up, I was doing some research on something that didn't actually fit into the matrix. And it, I, I was like, what's going on here? And I just you know, charged forth and was doing my research. And I, I just, I was like, oh, I guess this isn't the sum total of all options. And in talking with other peers, I've learned that there are actually even pen test firms or long-term red team firms that specialize in doing things that have yet to be mapped onto the, onto the matrix. And so it's a way of helping to you know, uh, fairly mature organizations who believe that they've got good coverage in the attack uh, framework that, you know, hey, there's there's other avenues of attack that still haven't yet been mapped or fully explored. So, okay, so that's interesting. If, if First of all, I appreciate that because it, it does look very rich and comprehensive. So I could see why, you know, someone would fall for that. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, I'm I'm not someone, right? Um, but if, if, you know, I guess good guys, if you want to call them that, if, if white hats, if, if people who are helping the community and have done work to identify things that don't fit into this, uh, square peg round hole situation, how come there isn't been, uh, feedback loops to MITRE to improve the, the, uh, framework? Yeah, that's a great question. Also, I just changed my audio source. Somebody was saying that I sounded kind of faint. Do I sound better? Yeah, you sound much richer now. Okay, cool. Thanks, Aaron KG. Yeah. Thank you for letting me know. So um, part of the problem, I think, is that um, there's a lot more abuse of the attack framework taking place. Um, I don't have insider view of this at all, but if I worked at MITRE.org, I would be like just riding around every day with like fists full of fire because a lot of <laughs> using like they're straight up abusing the attack framework. Like how many times have you seen like we have 80% motor attack coverage. We've got 100%. And that's not, it's not a bingo card, like not. 
So I, I think that the researchers at MITRE probably are putting out a lot of those fires. I've noticed over the last couple of years, they've been increasingly strident on like messaging like MITRE does not endorse or recommend any particular product. Like that's pretty freaking blatant. Like the fact that they had to do that is pretty wild in my opinion. So I think yeah. that that's part of why they're, they're not doing that. Um, I think that also, um, you know, miters are not for profit. Like one of the things that I'm kind of surprised about is I've had, I've been fortunate enough that a couple of the folks at miter, not just in the attack project, but in a couple others have like reached out to me cause they're like, Oh, you're mentioning our, our tool or our framework. And I'm like, hell yeah, I am. I love it. Um, and the thing that will forever shock me is they're like, well, me and my friend at work, were talking about this. And I'm like, wait, it was two of you. Like, I'm shocked at just how few they have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I have deep, deep empathy for them when it comes to that sort of an issue. Yeah. I mean, if it's only a few people putting something like this together, that's a Herculean effort. Um, and I appreciate it. Let me ask you this, Mick. Like, obviously, I understand that vendors are baking the MITRE attack into their products all over the place. Um, and and you know what? I, I, I'm not going to totally poo-poo that because, yes, they are marketing it. But at the same time, I do appreciate that for, like, um, you know, like attack, like attack emulation tools or whatever. They're saying this is what we're doing. So there, there is whatever, some some value there. But well, there, uh, there is. I want, I want to be clear. There is value there. The problem is that there's a lot of nuance being uh, basically wiped off the conversation. So if you have yeah. coverage in a particular area, mm -hmm. that means that you likely are catching a particular thing. And some of those detections are incredibly brittle. So within every, you know, technique, every single grid in that MITRE framework, in the MITRE attack framework, there's practically an infinity of ways that you can bypass that thing. And so, you know, I definitely think you should use it as a way of, you know, hey, do we have any kind of detection or prevention in this particular chunk of the grid? Or how are we even stacking up across you know, the recon phase or the exploitation phase, you know, those are very good conversations, but I get really uncomfortable when people are like, yeah, 80%, 90%, like what, like that. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I, yeah. I could totally see that too. And, and so to, so on the other side, to your, to your point of something, I don't like the, what the vendors are doing is where they'll say like, you know, initial access, um, you know, replication through removable media, right? Like I'm looking at the MITRE attack right now. And sure. if they do, if they do anything at all that addresses that, they say they've got coverage T to your point earlier about a bingo card. It's, it's not Boolean and they're trying to treat it like Boolean. Like it, it we do it. It's good market and, and off we run. And uh, that's just not the case. And, th and that is a real, uh, n that is a real nuance, Mick. Like, uh, well, you know, really, really great observation. I, I've gotten, there's another project that MITRE does that predates attack that actually kind of uh, started the attack project called okay. CWE, CWE or uh, Charlie Whiskey Echo. Okay. Um, that's the common weakness enumeration. And they list out like, hey, here's common mistakes people make at the hardware layer. Here's common mistakes people make at the software layer. Here's all these mistakes that we've known about. If you're looking for a bingo card type thing, that's the project that you really should gravitate toward. Because if you can start shoring up against the common weaknesses, 
and make sure that you're doing them in a way that's repeatable and low drag for your organization, you're yeah. doing some rock star infosec at that point. Oh, that's good to know. So maybe I'll start uh, pr uh, pimping that out a little bit because like t today, because I do, I don't know if you know this, Mick, I do a, a daily threat briefing every single morning. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, today there was a story like every other day of um, a ransomware attack. I, I think it was uh, somewhere in the UK, uh, the Guardian, the newspaper. And uh, I said, you know, guys, like you never, you shouldn't be like, oh, like Lockbit's really big right now. We should defend from Lockbit. Like you should just have fundamental, make sure your fundamentals are in place, make sure foundational's in place, and then test their controls, see what your resiliency is to be able to maintain uptime and, and, and business continuity. And and that's it. Like, you know, if you're really advanced, maybe you go after Lockbit's TTPs, but you're fooled if you're going straight to, <laughs> straight to that. So I, I'm wondering uh, if CWE might be a good place for people to, you know, check on their their fundamentals like because when i think fundamentals i think like cis 18 formerly 20 formerly sans 20 right yep. like when i think fundamentals that's what i'm thinking about or like a real basicness csf um so can you just kind of elaborate is the cwe project something that would fold into that or i know it's not a framework but how would you kind of utilize it well there's a lot of ways that you can utilize it i think your biggest return on your effort would be if you are doing like the critical controls from Center for Internet Security. Work on those and at a certain point you're going to get into just where it starts get feeling hard and it's a bit of a slog. Um, that's a sign that you've kind of hit a particular like maturity level that will work pretty well with your organization. If it's feeling too hard, it is. What you can do at that point is pivot and a real good like you know chance to kind of take a break but still be advancing your security program is to look at the cwe and if you've been doing that the cis critical controls in a holistic way like they advocate you should you'll find that a lot of the cwe entries are going to be just handled like you'll be like oh yeah we've got this because we've got this control set or we've got this, you know, because we've got this policy and that's awesome. What you, what you're hoping for is to find those things where you don't yet have a control or you have a policy and then you can then incorporate, like solve for them using the CIS critical controls. I'm a big fan of doing that. That's pretty much the playbook that we do for a lot of our, um, mixed consulting engagements where it's a bit of GRC and a bit of tech. That's, that's, you know, we'll, we will deviate from that as needed, but that if you do that approach, you will find a lot of value very fast. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. Uh, Aaron KG says he feels like Mick could teach. Uh, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, Mick is a, a longtime SAN senior instructor uh, teaches, you know, what's interesting, um, about, and I want to ask you one more question from the audience about, um, MITRE attack, but something I to put saw, a pin in. One that I want to answer too. Yep. So you ask yours and then you can ask. Well, me. I just want to put a pin in it for now. You teach SANS course, but you teach an advanced offensive one and an advanced mm -hmm. defensive one, which I find interesting because usually people are, you know, specialized in an area at that level of education. So, but let's put a pin in it. I'll come back. Uh, Mick, uh, I mean, excuse me, a uh, Borak Ursoy asked your thoughts on attack 12 Ooh, and yeah. ICS. Yeah. So I love it. And I really like that. It's, um, the ICS type stuff is there. So, 
Uh, cards face up. I do not live in the IC, ICS space solely, although I do have some clients and I do help folks in that sector. I'd say about, I don't know, a third, a third-ish of my book of businesses in this space. So I'm very comfortable in it and I like where it's heading. That said, it's just starting. So it's not, um, it, it, it needs a lot of uh, maturity yet, but I think that it's heading in the right direction. So I'm really, really pleased to see it because frankly, it's needed. And it's actually going to dovetail very nicely with some changes that the US Department of Energy announced a little bit ago where they're moving away from being so prescriptive on how to do information security and instead are just saying, here's some objectives. You need to show how you're going to hit these particular risk metrics and it's gonna be much more science-based. And I think that um, using the ICS attack matrix is going to really help improve that sector very quickly. So is this like, I, I'm not familiar with this. Is this like an overlay to the matrix or is it just a, a separate, separate matrix? It's a separate matrix. So there's different matrices, matrici, I think matrices. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the plural is. Anyway, um, there's the enterprise one, which is kind of just general IT. And then there's cloud, which has kind of general cloud concepts. And then there's ones for AWS, et cetera. So you get to have a more specific version based off of what uh, ecosystem you're concerned about. And the industrial control side of things is so radically different than like a, a traditional IT network that you need to have a very different lens to view it from. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, that's definitely uh, I, like the understatement of, of the year, like ICS, OT, not only I would argue and again, I haven't worked in that space either, Mick. So I'm, I'm. This is based on what I've seen and observed. Um, not only is it a different tech stack with different protocols and it, it and a different set of skills that you kind of need, the environment that you operate in, who the end users are, quote unquote, who the business is, quote unquote, are very different. Like the the, the field operators um, are very different than corporate people. I guess to put it, you know. Plainly. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing too, you know, don't listen to anyone who's like, it's all doom and gloom, even in the ICS sector. One of the things that they can do that we can't in traditional IT networks is they can flip to manual mode. And anytime I'm doing a pen test in an ICS environment and the engineers flip to manual, I'm just like, oh, and the <laughs> like, I've even had the client IT or infosec teams be like, "Oh, well, they flipped the manual mode. Victory condition for you." And I'm like, "Hell no! Like, I can't do a thing to that anymore. Yeah. Like, it like, it might be a pain to manage. It might be a pain to do stuff with. But it is in a state that I cannot do anything to. And I love that. I just." Mm. That's like such a solid win. <laughs> I love it. Uh, real quick, I want to say shout out to Base Case, who just gifted five subs uh, to the squad. Thank you, Base, a uh, longtime member of the community. We have this thing, uh, Mick, called the, the squad, and it gives you access to like, um, you know, some fun stuff and emotes and all these things. And uh, you can gift the memberships as well. So uh, Base just did that. He's a longtime member of the community. 
So uh, let's do some fun stuff. Uh, whether you know, like, like, let's jump around a little bit, Mick. Um, so first off, what do you think about this? I, I just read. Um, well, first of all, what do you think about ChatGPT? I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I actually have um, I have two different accounts. I have one that's free only, and then a paid one because it's um, unfortunately I have a bad habit of um, using a commercial like a consumption based resource, and all of a sudden I'm like, ooh, how much did I spend? So I use my free account for daily driver stuff, and then when I hit the limits, I then go to the the paid model. I love it. I do have to say that it's weird in that it can help but it also can do some really weird weird stuff like um when i was first playing with it um i was working on some stuff in python and it it made real like the the code ran and it worked mm -hmm. right but as soon as i tried to hit one of the functions that the chat gpt uh, ai created it was calling functions inside one of the libraries that just straight up don't exist <laughs> and that was like really a weird moment because like I was stepping through the Python code, like everything syntactically beautiful. In fact, it was neater code than I normally write, which, you know, I'm a hacker, I'm not a dev. So anyway, <laughs> I'm walking through the code and everything's aces. And then I finally see that it's like, hey, this, you're trying to call this thing that does not exist. And I was like, but it's the code. And then I had to step into the library that was being called. And I was like, oh, like this doesn't even exist. So it's really weird. It's um, like in some ways it helps. In other ways, it hinders really bad. And like, I don't know. It, it's I've got mixed feelings, to put it politely. Mm -hmm. But it's um, when it's good, it's really good. And most of the time, it's close enough that you know, I just need to adjust and tweak little things. So I, I like it. I use it fairly frequently. It's um, almost a part of my daily workflow. It, it's not there yet, but it's getting there. I, I have a, I have a, like, I don't use my, I have bookmarks, lots of bookmarks, but usually my bookmarks are, is like two folders, three folders, right? One's home. And then it, it, in one's work and one's, uh, simply cyber and it, it like goes down from there but next to the three folders now is a chat gpt button and it, it just says secret weapon because like anytime i i need something done now you know like you said it doesn't like i know some people are complaining like oh it it, it says the wrong thing but it says it very confidently like but for me like i'm not trying to ask it to like i'm not trying to ask it to tell me something i don't know i'm i'm, I'm asking it because it's going to draft me an outline of something that I, will save me 45 minutes and and my yep. time is you know i can i can make the edits you know what i mean um with, now with programming two things come to mind one i want to share with you and the second one i i curious on your thoughts andrew cook who's over at recon infosec he, he did a um they do a Thursday like Zoom meeting that's not recorded or anything called Thursday Defensive. And he was talking about ChatGPT. And he actually, the thing is so smart that he, he wrote like a, he asked it to write a Sigma rule to detect Mimikatz or something like that. And then Lima Charlie is another platform. Okay. And, but it's got its own language. And he put in a uh, an example of, uh, he's like, this is a rule in Sigma. This is a rule in Lima Charlie. Then he's like, write me a rule that does this. 
Now, right now, transpose it into Lima Charlie, and it wrote it in Lima Charlie, but it wrote it in a way that Andrew looked at it and said, no, no, that's not right. And then realized it wrote a more optimized version of the detection. Like it was, it was better because, because basically it, it, instead of using a, um, like a, a dictionary or whatever you want to call it, like kind of a, an embedded JSON, it like, or no, no, normally it's like row, 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 row. And the, the, uh, chat GBT put it into a, a dict um data structure oh, yeah. and it looked it looked easier to read it and everything about it worked he's like holy crap like it, it even writes you know more optimized code uh than I, than i thought of so i didn't know if you've seen this type of translation but the, but the other thing i wanted to tell you too or get your thoughts when it was calling that python program i wonder if someone else had written you know because i don't know if it's pulling from like one massive data store and we only see our only our own conversations but you know, someone else had written that Python library and, and it knew about it? It's possible. I don't know. You know, um, I've it, the more off beaten path you go, the weirder the results will tend to be. Mm -hmm. um, if you're asking for things that are fairly tried and true, um, I have found that, um, like, um, I was asking, uh, one time I asked, like, what's the PowerShell command to get these specific elements on a running process. And I knew um, just on personal experience, you couldn't rely on just the get process command to get all that elements. Mm -hmm. And so um, it correctly called the um, get sim instance, which is a lesser used one. And it made a very nuanced uh, query based off of that. So it, it does do well. But then on other times, like I've asked it, like what I've considered like abuse case tests and um, one that popped into mind because I'm in a couple months, I'm going to be going to take a test on sailing. Um, one that popped into mind is given the latitude and longitude, calculate the uh, sunrise, sunset, moonrise and moonset, high tide and low tide for that location. And the, it, failed hard like really really hard I mean, really and yeah like it gave code that sort of looked correctly and if i told it go calculate these things it would work fine but when i said like go write this in python it was like oh use this python astronomy library and it was all abstracted and i was like no i want to see your work and when i was like hey using Python native or using Lua native or using PowerShell native or .NET. And every single time it came up with results that sort of looked like it would work, but every language I tried it either, it would compile, but not like run or had just really weird glitches. So it's not like, it, it's, it's an odd thing. It's a force multiplier, but you said something that's really a, a keen observation you have to kind of know what you want out of it or like what you're expecting good is. Otherwise it will happily lead you down some weird, strange path. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't seek it for like mentorship. You, you seek it as like uh, an assistant, you know, like basically yeah. um, it's, you know, it's perfect for Hollywood though. Hollywood's going to have more real looking hacking tools. <laughs> so, Hey, uh, Aaron KG asks, uh, how soon do you think chat GPT could replace forensic sock? Um, I, I would think that actually most at this point, if you're doing most of your forensic stuff manually, you're, you're in danger. I think that the advantage that humans bring to the equation is that we can act as a circuit breaker. 
like compute now is relatively cheap. It's cheaper than it's ever been. And it's getting to the point where when you do forensics or uh, like light touch forensics in, in incident response, just have those automated things run. And that's kind of the what a lot of the um, SOAR type platforms, the security orchestration and automated response are based on, where I think things hop the rails and probably will for another couple of years is you do need a, a human that's reviewing that and saying like, yeah, I know you're saying that we should isolate this machine, but actually we shouldn't and here's why. And so I think that automation for like consistency, I think automation for validation, I think those are amazing. I think automation for response also amazing. So I think that it should be replacing a lot of those things. I, I, I want it to because a lot of forensics, like you're just one progress bar move from right to left or left to right, depending on the tool. That's pretty low value add. Yeah, I've seen, um, uh, well, I've seen it in a couple different products, but um, Andrew Cook at that Thursday Defensive was saying that, you know, Chat ChatGPT has an API and they've, they've integrated it with their um, SIM SOAR solution that they built in-house. And what it'll do is, it's almost like a tier one analyst. So when something comes in, it'll automatically query ChatGPT about about the process or what like what is this process, and it'll update the tickets. So then when a human analyst, before they even get a chance to get over there, when they sit down, it's already been like you know, you know, decently researched, you know, at at a basic level. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that where these tools really are going to shine is maybe not a level one analyst, maybe like at a, a 0.5 in terms mm -hmm. of validating all the false positives and, yeah. you know, uh, collecting additional resources so that when you get a ticket, instead of it being just a ticket, it's here's your ticket packet and here's mm -hmm. all the data you're likely going to need to analyze this. I think that that's where it's going to shine. Um, I do worry about a certain subset of our industry is going to be replaced by, by these sorts of tools. Um, one thing that I'm floored that isn't being uh, talked about enough is I do think that a lot of project managers and middle managers are going to be looking for jobs soon. And quite frankly, they probably should be if all they're doing is relatively low value add that can be automated with a tool like this. They're, they're effectively process macros. Now the technical sides are gonna get solved first, but the process macros, that's happening. That's very interesting. That is very interesting. So are you saying because of uh, process management around like I've completed this task, notify this person, what's up? Or we've, we've gone past a certain de deadline, notify people accordingly? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, let's, be, let's be real. There's a lot of project managers and there's a lot of middle managers who really all they do is they come up to you and, or you know, online and they say, hey, here's this cell in this spreadsheet or here's this thing in this Gantt chart. What is it, can I mark it? Yeah, okay, I mark it there. And mm -hmm. like, what's what's their value? Like if they're a human nag function, that's I wouldn't want to stake a career on that. And yeah. you know, I want to be clear, I'm not dogging on the entire project management profession. I'm not dogging on middle managers. There's some amazing folks out there. But if you're low value add, you will be replaced. Yeah. No, I mean that that is interesting. That is interesting. Um one thing that, you know, you just said that 
you know, I guess just spitballing here. Like now we're like having a beer and kind of BS and like if 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 ChatGPT can replace a tier one half, right? And people are trying to make budget cuts or whatever, and ChatGPT is tier one uh, for you know clearing out a lot of the um, the false positive brush and 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 here's the problem that I I want you to you know your thoughts on. That's fine for today, and that saves me money this fiscal year. But in 10 years, like you need people to come up. No one comes out of college as a tier two analyst. Like you have to go through, you have to, you, the reason you're that level is because you have experience of going through and understanding at the tier one. So if tier one doesn't exist anymore because it's been, you know, robotically animated or uh, automated, how how do you, where do the people come from? Like it's a, it's a long-term problem. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, so I think that there's going to be what will eventually become like artisanal IT jobs where you're working at smaller firms that can't afford or don't know how to use these AI tools. I think that there's going to be a lot of people doing less of these entry-level jobs, though, and I think that that's good. I think that they, they'll be moving on to doing other things. You know, I, I get a lot of flack when I say there's there's too many people in InfoSec. And I know that that's contrarian view yeah. to whatever wow. you're saying. See, this is the kind of hot takes I'm talking about, Mick Douglas takes. Like, like, here's the thing. You know, it's bonkers to me that IT security, like, I think that there should be really two security functions. There should be like an audit function and like a review. And there's the IT stuff. Like it, it blows my mind that at some point we allowed security be, to become decoupled from IT and no other industry. Like you don't go and buy a car and then have it like shipped to your mechanic to have them install the brakes and airbags. Like that's bonkers. And yet, Right, like why, why, why is that seen as normal in an IT world? Like, I and I mean, I get it as it exists right now. You know, you need pen testers to do the QA checks, but like, why? Like, I it like it, it just I don't understand it. Yeah, it, well, it makes me wonder if it's more about this the the level of uh, effort and the level of focus that cybersecurity demands at this point, because it is so front and center and it is so important that, you know, they decoupled it essentially because, you know, well, I mean, cause the age old thing, IT is all about, you know, is it, can, are the packets flowing, right? You're an old network engineer. Are the yeah. packets flowing green light, but then can it, can everyone see them? Where are they going? Can, you know what I mean? Like, well, no, 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 no. I, I'm going right. to push back against that yeah, gently. But so, you know, IT really cares about the same things that security cares about, right? Like, if you haven't yet heard this, folks that are on listening to this, you will get pounded into your head the CIA triad, confidentiality, oh, yeah. integrity, and availability. And IT is all about that availability. Well, you know, when ransomware detonates, when you're having an incident, guess what gets shot to sunshine? Availability. And so I don't, like, I get that it's specialized. I get that it's nuanced. I get that it's hard. I'm not saying it's not. Mm -hmm. What I am saying, though, is it's really weird that at some point we said, hey, these people set up and deploy databases 
And then these separate people configure and tune them. And then this final group of people, they secure them. And what we've done in certain aspects is we've split that hair so fine that only very large institutions can afford enough specialists. And mm -hmm. the, the people, the large entities that are buying these softwares like the databases are expecting them to be insecure, which is great for them, except for the smaller shops that they're just like, hey, I got this database thing. I followed a YouTube and it kind of sort of works. We're good, right? Well, no, you're not because this thing has been built from the ground up with these assumptions that you're going to have this ninja squad come in and configure, tune, and harden it. And those, like, that's beyond the scope of most of those orgs. I, I, I really think that there's like a lot of weird economic issues at play in this this field, and they're not going away anytime soon. So, like, you know, when people say like, "Oh, AI is going to like." solve the security problem it won't it's just going to shift it and it's going to be somewhere different yeah no that's interesting i appreciate your uh perspective mick and i always um i always comment that you know as an infosec guy because i you know i see it as there's infosec and there's it and they are two different functions and a lot of people especially people who aren't in it or infosec don't really see it that way they don't understand it the business side but the, the one thing that always gets me is like, I cannot patch a computer. Like I don't get to patch computers, but I desperately need computers patched or, or servers patched or systems patched. So like, you know, you know, toss a coin to your Witcher or to your network engineer, please. <laughs> Cause you need them. You need them. Uh, Aaron KG wants to know like what, if you had any thoughts, Mick, obviously you've thought long and hard about this particular uh, challenge. Uh, what are your thoughts around a solution? Well, uh, uh, you know, honestly, I, I like putting a lot of this back on the software developers. Hey, you make this code like it needs to ship a little more secure. Hey, you made this, you know, product. Why do we have to spend these sorts of cycles on, you know, hardening this to this degree? And that's tough. I mean, there, you know, getting back to the ICS space, there's actually some really cool trends that I'm seeing where components are shipping way, way more secured. In some cases, actually more secured than you would get them when you like set up a cloud instance in, you know, cloud provider of your choice. So um, I think that we can make things more secure. It's just that we as an industry are choosing not to. And you know, it, it's, um, it's tough. I think that what you can do, though, is use this current moment in time, these APIs, the right, like the, I love the fact that um, uh, ChatGPT has an API, and I have been using it. I use it as like a force multiplier. If the answer is close enough, and it works, done, it's outsourced. Mm -hmm. And if it's not able to answer that thing, that frees me up to work on those more crunchy problems. Now, to your point, how do you bring people up? I don't know. Like that—that that is a—that's a, a an issue that we've been having for a very long time in the industry, and I think that this will exacerbate it. I do think that if you, as you know, the advice I would give to me starting right now is focus on a thing that is intensely interesting to you, and then branch out into some core 
elements like networking or protocols so that you understand how this thing is talking to other elements. I think that that's the one thing that has really allowed me to stay current across all these major shifts that happen throughout my career is when push comes to shove, I can open up TCP dump or Wireshark and get to ground truth and understand what's happening. If I didn't have that, boy, I'd be, I'd be a different, that'd be a different spot for me. It really would. Yeah. That's really a, a, a great point. Like, you know, these tools abstract so high that, you know, people begin to understand what the tool does and how the tool works, but not really, and it's no fault of their own because the tools just always worked, but like, you know, an appreciation to get down lower level. And then obviously that's when you're able to really see more sophisticated advanced threat actor stuff and, and, you know, specialized. Um, as you were just saying, um, so to, this is a question from earlier. If Jeff Fuller's still in the chat, uh, he wanted to know how how to transfer, uh, excuse me, transition from sysadmin into the first security role. He personally uh, has been struggling with that. Well, you know, um, when I was uh, back doing full time sysadmin work, I straight up went to my manager at the time and I said, "Hey, you know, the security stuff is interesting to me. Can I spend some more cycles on?" hardening the machines? Can I take a more active role in patch validation? Can I, um, you know, work on setting up a host-based firewall to augment what's happening at the network layer? And so those things weren't, um, you know, they weren't very radical departures from what my daily tasks were, but they had a security spin on them that was very interesting to me and actually made those machines more resilient. And so I understood a lot of the um, driving forces on security and saw, you know, don't read too much into this, but there is a slight misalignment between security issues and IT. And, you know, as was said earlier, IT is all about availability, getting things up and running, whereas security is, you know, is it, secure and that's a very different thing and having to walk those two worlds for a while was a very eye-opening experience for me and one that i recommend for most folks all right i mean that's good advice like definitely uh taking advantage of wherever you work to see i, I always tell people and i'll say the same to jeff if um jeff hasn't heard me say it before you know, if you can, if you're at an organization that's not so large that you have like 15 layers of like abstraction between you and like the CISO or whoever's in charge of security, if you can get to them and tell them if, that you would be willing to help them with their mission in whatever capacity you can, uh, whether you're on, you know, you know, helping with vulnerability management by trying to track down who owns this machine, or you're working on help desk and you make it a point to set people up with MFA every time they call if they don't have MFA. Like the CISO is going to be like, heck yeah, like all day long, I want help because I need help and I'm understaffed. And then obviously now you've put your face to your to to your interest. And eventually the thing I always tell people is networking is key. Delivering value is key. I can't tell you you'll get a job in a month, a week, six months. But if you do it, I tell, I'm telling you it will happen. It's just, you know. It's, it's how you 100%. do it. Also, I, I do think that a lot of people um, uh, approach this very wrong. They're like, well, I'm just a sysadmin or I'm just a network admin or I'm just a help desk person. You got to knock those thoughts out your head fast because you actually have a level of awareness and, 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 and understanding that many security people don't have. 
you know, anyone that comes up from the help desk that I've worked with that's in InfoSec has a real cool understanding of like the issues that users are struggling with. When you're dealing with folks who came up being a sysadmin, they have almost like this, like, in intuition on like what the line of business or the the sub organization is willing to tolerate so you know oh yeah patches we'll get to that but you know we're gonna have to do something like between now and then and i get that it's an emergency patch but we can't tolerate any downtime because xyz so having that sysadmin background having that help desk background having that whatever background actually is a fine thing to have I love it. So uh, we've only got a couple minutes left and I really do want to get your thoughts. I want to, so two things you could uh, like dealer's choice, Mick, you tell me. So I wanted your thoughts on the rollout of facial recognition at us based airports or flipper zero and uh, cool stuff you've done with it. Let's, let's talk facial recognition. Right. Um, so there's a really weird balance that has to be struck between providing security for the general populace and then also um, protecting their civil liberties. And when a functioning democracy is working well, that's an ongoing debate and one that's really tough to solve for. I really dislike the idea of facial recognition software, especially in public places. I get that um, you know, when you are in the public realm, you are fair game, but I don't like the fact that I, as a private individual, don't have the resources to do facial recognition. And as these things roll out, I think a very interesting thought exercise and one that I might do in the next year or so is to go to a facial recognition place where they've got that and like camp out and wait for the tech to service that equipment and then turn the facial recognition on them and like be showing their like, hey, you're this, you know, technician and here's all this information that we've pulled from the public web about you right now and see how they like it because they probably won't. And so, you know, I get it. We need to be protected against threats, but we also have to protect ourselves from ourselves too. Yeah, I just saw an interesting post. And again, I, I only read that news article. I don't know the whole story, but the facts were um, a woman who's a lawyer uh, for a company that is suing. Did you see this already? Mm -mm. So she's a lawyer at a company that is suing um, the, the parent company that, that owns Radio City Music Hall. This okay. woman personally not with the law firm personally was a scout master for girl scouts and took a girl scouts to the rockets christmas uh you know event or whatever before she got to her seat security took her and removed her from the facility because facial recognition had scanned her unbeknownst to her and she was on a no admittance list because she worked at this law firm and i really pushed back on that. And some people were like, oh, you know, like th like this law firm had a cease and desist. But I'm like, this has nothing to do with the work. This is a private citizen purchasing a ticket to a, you know, a, a public event. Um, you know what I mean? Because it's just a couple steps for from that where it's like, all right, so like, what, now I don't like your religion, so you're not allowed to eat at this restaurant? Or, you know what I mean? It, like, like what's the... More, it gets more chilling than that, though. Like, you know, what if I start saying something... Right. Like a lot of my family is uh, lives in rural Ohio. Okay. 
if I start talking bad about Pioneer Seed or about, you know, Ralston Purina's work, right? Like, it's a very thin transition from the Rockettes to me saying like, oh, don't buy blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying, cool, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to have any of these products. And with the like consolidation that's happening in the ag space, you know, legally they're within their right to say like, yo, don't sell to this guy. But yeah. very quickly, I'm like, hey, I need food. How do I get that? And so I don't think I, I really, anybody who's not yet concerned about this stuff, um, I, I'm worried about them. I, I think that they are at best just kind of coasting along. And there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of folks that don't have your best interest at heart who are counting on you to sit this one out and you shouldn't. Yeah. Well, and it's like any other, um, surveillance technology or, or censorship technology. It's like there's humans behind it, deciding the policies that are, get applied to it and who's, who's in and who's out. And I know I saw someone in chat, Aaron KG mentioned, you know, mentioning China and their authoritative uh, approach to things with, he didn't say this, but they have a social credit system now um, that determines what you're allowed to get access to and stuff, which is pretty, pretty chilling. Um, so Mick, I do not want to end this conversation on something as, um, you know, dark and, and, and sad as, as this. So let me, let me, let me throw it to you. Well, first of all, let, let's end it this way. Um, are there any projects you're working on or anything upcoming that you'd really like to share with us or let people know? Yeah. So um, the one that's going to be publicly available fairly soon, we have a, a project out on our uh, GitHub called Project Fantastic. And what we're trying to do is build a GUI uh, method for interacting with systems at scale. It's kind of like a lot of commercial tools, but I'm not going to name their names. But um, the idea is that it'll be easier to do fleet management. One of the problems that we see on pen tests and the a few times that we can do incident response, we'll see that um, a lot of times it's the neglected machines. Yeah, thank you for Project Fantastic. Um, we're in the process of rebuilding that tool. It uh, We did it as a proof of concept in Node, and some of our uh, folks that were in the alpha tests of it said like, hey, we're worried about node because supply chain issues, which is a very fair concern. So we've rewritten almost the entire, actually, yeah, almost the entirety of the server component is now .NET. And so there's going to be a few more node things. But once we get that up and running, I'll definitely be uh, tweeting a lot about that. And I would love, you know, people kicking the tires on that. So I think that, that that's like a thing that I love. And... Um, yeah, so definitely yeah. play with it. So I dropped a link in chat. Uh, and just Thank so you. I understand, uh, Mick, uh, we lost your camera, so hopefully that's by design. Oh. Um, no. So just so I understand, who, who could use this? Is this, could you set this up in a home lab and scan your home network? Or is this for like, because I want people to play with it. And I it looks intimidating based on the screenshot. So... No, no. Uh, so the thing is, it's actually what we're going to be doing once we get the rewrite done. I'm going to be making some short videos on how it works. The um, dev that I hired to help me do this is a video game developer. And I specifically sought him out because he made this game 
that you're this French peasant and you start building up this manor and you start by like harvesting resources. And as you do these things, other elements of the game unlock. And we've actually recreated a lot of that magic where as you start working with these nodes, these elements in your environment, you learn more about them and you get more abilities to take care of them better. It's actually, I, I, I th I'm really pleased with where it's at. And so hopefully soon we'll have some folks uh, play with it. Yeah, I agree. Once it's all uh, like run, it's you're like, whoa, there's a lot going on. But the experience of starting it up and like having it evolve is actually very organic. And so far in our tests, it's very low drag for folks. That's awesome. So um, can we um, like, is there going to be like downloadable content so you can get skins? For your for your uh, for your it nodes, be, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um, we're we're going to be working a lot on iconography so that you can tell like, hey, here's this machine, and then there's a tagging feature for every element, whether it's a uh, uh, like a computer or a network device, and you can uh, different tags, and those tags will affect the icon for the, that resource. Or you can put little like um, status icons on them to like flag it, or you know, mark it with like fire. Like I want to burn this with fire when, when the king and that sort of stuff. I love it. Uh, real quick question: uh, Aaron mm -hmm. wants to know what kind. What's the minimum requirements for running it on a PC? Very, very modest actually. The um, server is. Um, I think it only takes about two gig of RAM for a like. Uh, we in our lab we had, I think we had several hundred workstations, a couple domain controllers, a couple file servers and stuff. So it was, it's not that bad. Oh, why is the camera? My camera keeps on trying to. Oh, now we got this camera going. Is What's, it overheating? Maybe it is. That might be it. So we're gonna. Well, I mean, we're 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 at time anyway. So again, guys, Project Fantastic Mick. Obviously, when when it publishes and launches, uh, let me know. I'd love to share it with my community um, and help as many people um, find out about it and use it. Uh, Mick is also the author of um, PowerCat, uh, which was like a, a NetCat uh, PowerShell, uh, or is it NetCat or HashCat? It's NetCat, oh. right? It's Netcat. It's Netcat. So I wrote the very first version of. So I took Netcat style functionality and implemented it into PowerShell. And then Luke Baggett was like, "Hey, I got some ideas on how to make it better." And I was like, "Go knock yourself out." And he like did a complete rewrite, and it's awesome. So Luke gets shout out. All right, cool. All right, so a lot of great content. So Project Fantastic. There's there's has. You know, it's it, it. You have to assume it's going to be awesome, just based on the things that Mick has been involved with in the past. So, as people have been saying, as the camera says, it's time to go get some whiskey or get some beers. Uh, it's time. I'm going to be making some dinner. But guys, um, chat. Thank you so much for being here today, Mick. Thank you for taking time. I know you're a really thank busy you. individual, but we got. I got a lot of value out of it. I'm going to certainly like change my position about how I talk about miter attack, um, which is good. And uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Uh, do you, any any final thoughts, Mick? Well, um, 
you know, I love InfoSec and you should too. Like, have hope. Like, there's some Orwellian stuff that we talked about, but now's better than ever to get started in learning. Cloud resources, VMs, like all these things are available online. Back when I was getting into IT, I literally had to build a phone switch in my apartment when I was living off campus. And that was hard and expensive and time consuming. Like it's now easier than ever to get into things. It's now easier than ever to get started. So I'd, I'd say have a lot of hope, reach out. The community is like, we'll welcome you with open arms. Come join the party. Yeah, it's definitely uh, significantly uh, more inclusive and supportive in 2022 than it has been in the past. So thanks, Mick. I want to just remind everyone if you, you know, I see a lot of regulars in here, but if you're not a regular, every single weekday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time, I do a live daily cyber threat briefing for 45 minutes. Um, it's it's a good time. A lot, you know, if, if you are working in the industry, it's good to stay fresh on what's current. If you're looking to get in the industry, it's good for understanding terminology, lexicon, macro issues, um, current, current events. Uh, you will be asked in any InfoSec job interview, how do you stay current? I guarantee you. And this, I am biased, but I think this is a fantastic response to that question. So get, go ahead and check that out. Simplycyber.io slash streams. The link is at the top there on the banner. His, he's Mick Douglas. I'm Jerry Ozier. This has been Simply Cyber Live. Thank you all very much. And I hope you all have a great day. Take care.